Hello and welcome back to Bombafo, the Scandinavian Spanish football podcast. And it has been yet another pretty damn exciting week for Scandinavians in Spanish football. Luckily for us, I would say Alexander Jonsson, do you agree? Yes, and uh, it was quite easy if anyone wanted to follow all our Scandis this weekend because they were playing each other. So it was only two games to catch all of them at once. So we had Valencia against Celta with Vas against Sisto. And then we had the very, very Scandinavian clash of uh, Real Sociedad or Leganes against Real Sociedad because Lega was at home with a Dane, a Norwegian and a Swede in the same match on the same pitch. Which we were trying to figure out if it had happened again. And to be honest, I kind of stopped at the point at which it became too much effort to me, for me to figure this out. But the closest I got in the modern era was when Björklund and Karu were at Valencia together. So I figured, oh, come on, there must have been one Danish player in La Liga at that time. No, in that very specific window, which is really frustrating because historically there have been quite a lot of Danes in La Liga. They decided not to have any Danes in La Liga at that point, so that was my, my best guess. And then I think you could probably go further back, maybe. The side that lets the team down a little little bit is Norway, because there haven't been that many Norwegian players in La Liga in general. So Danes and Swedes, it's quite easy to find um, over the years, but Norwegians in La Liga are rare, so it really was quite a special occasion, must say. Yeah, it has happened once before this season, I figured out. When they played Valencia, it was 19 minutes. Uh, this match wasn't that many minutes either because other uh, guards started on the bench and uh, came on and then Isaac was subbed and then Rathwaite was subbed as well. So, uh, But we had a point there when we had all Scandies uh, countries on the pitch. That was pretty cool. Th- this is the first step in transforming La Liga into the Scandinavian Football League. It's true. So uh, let's do a Scandi roundup. And I think we, we should just start with talking a little bit about Alexander Isaac, uh, who is, I mean, it's hard to get away from it at the moment, how good he is, is doing. So let's start with Isaac and then we just go through the rest of them. So, so basically what has happened is that the transfer window has closed, which is something we're going to speak a lot more about later on in this episode, which means, uh, and William Jose is still at Real Sociedad. Um, he was back in the match squad this uh, against Leganes. That was the first time he was in the squad for four games. They're, they've gone three games without him. Three games in which are there, Alexander Isak has scored four goals. Uh, so Isaac got to start, William Jose was on the bench, but so was Oyar Zabal, to be honest, so was Martin Adegard. They have a big Copa del Rey match coming up this week um, against Real Madrid. Uh, but I think it's pretty evident to say that Isaac has that starting spot in his hand now. He's, he scored as well. So what does it really mean for Isaac that William Jose is actually staying? Yeah, it's an interesting point. So, like the the thing that stands out to me is it's almost as if they've now switched roles. I think so. It feels like it's it's Isaac's spot to lose now, and when Jose is going to be the the person who's going to have to sit on the sidelines a little bit and suck it up and accept that he has to work his way back into the team. I think it probably didn't help his cause. He was really not very good when he came on at the weekend. He his decision making, some of the he attempted some really ridiculous passes that just didn't come off putting the ball straight out for a throw in and things like that so I think there might be some nerves there too because he's conscious of the fact that he's uh, not exactly the most popular person in the world among the Real Sociedad fans at the moment at the same time as Real Sociedad fans now very clearly have this new icon, this hero, Alexander Isaac. So now it'll be interesting to see how Isaac copes with that pressure too, because he is very much like, as he would say in Spain, he's the idol now, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, to be honest, that what happened this transfer window with William Jose was, in some ways, maybe the best thing that could have happened to Alexander Isaac, because he gets to keep William Jose, which we have talked about before, we believe is quite important and has been really good for him to have a William Jose in the team. And they are very different players and, and all of these, and they can complement each other and they can learn from each other and, and develop but at the same time because 
everything that happened, it meant that, Vida, uh, that Alexander Isak got the chance to really prove what he can do. And as you said, it's kind of the same situation, but switched. So it's Alexander Isak now who is the one who starts, who's the, the main guy, and then it's Vida Jose who, he who he made the substitution with to get the change in the game. Uh, so I think overall for Alexander Isak, it couldn't really turn out much better because would they have sold Vila Jose, got in another striker? Uh, we don't really know what would have happened. It would be a new scenario. It would be starting over in, in many different ways, even though Alexander Isak might have been the starting uh, player anyways. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I feel like we can almost kind of glide over Martin Aragord. The only thing I kind of wanted to say about him is that, I mean, he started on the bench, as you said, and he very obviously was being reserved for the big game in the midweek in the Cup, but I don't think he had a particularly game, but good game, but at the same time I also think he's the kind of player who is really not the best fit for being a substitution. He's someone who wants to get on the ball a lot, feel his way into a game, start to pull the strings, so... Yes, one, one sure thing, I actually saw something about that this was the first time, I think, Aragord came in as a substitution in La Liga since he was playing for Real Madrid. And so that also says a lot about him not really being a substitution player. Uh, but it's obviously uh, to rest him for the game against Real Madrid this week. Uh, in the same game, we had Dane, Martin Berthwaite. And I think he did a really good game. I think he was actually one of the best players on the pitch. He had uh, a really good chance in scoring. He made this fantastic, really ice cold in, in his movements in the, in the assist to the first goal. I uh, was substituted um, at the end of the game before for Leganes got the win. But overall, again, showing just how important he is for, for Leganes. Yeah, I thought he was brilliant. Even though he didn't score, which and it can be tempting to think that if you're a striker and you don't score, you're not doing anything. But I thought from the first minute of the match, actually, he was really threatening. He... He pulled off this really nice nutmeg really early on where he had his like back to go and he just turned around and put the ball through someone's legs and, and drew a foul. And then there was that kind of, there was a run actually, which I wasn't entirely sure was offside where he ran off the last man and it was pulled back for offside. But the replay made it really unclear if it was or wasn't. But anyway, his first touch then was exceptional. He looks like he's confident. And then the, uh, yeah, the assist is exceptional as well because I mean, it's easy to say when you see it in slow motion that, okay, yeah, simple, just slide the ball to the side. But when you've got like four players around you, you're in the box and they're all just about to jump on the ball to, to get it as far away as possible to have the peace of mind to say nope bring it down and move it along here and, and tee up your teammate for the goal is perfect and then I think we'll come back to this later but I feel like there's even more expectation on Martin Brathwaite now to perform because in this race at Sevilla so his traditional strike partner and the guy who actually got more goals last season is now gone so it's like okay you were you were important to us before you're going to be even more important now and I think he's thriving I think he's ready for that he seems like he's in the right the right headspace for that 100% and then moving on to, to Mistaya I think we can go quite short on Piona's sister but it's some things that I find quite interesting with uh, with this game for him was that uh, we talked last week about him having uh, a bit of a fallout with uh, with Oscar at the same time as he's playing really good football so this week and he started on the bench uh, he did come in what is interesting here is that Oscar didn't really which we will get into a little bit later as well didn't really get the signings he wanted this uh, this transfer window and he's a coach who likes using wingers which is why I think he played sister so much at the start and what he, why he's liked playing him. But the fact is that he has very, very few wingers to work with. So I think he's starting to to rethink how he wants to play his team. And we saw Celta going out with a completely different type of starting lineup where Sister was on the bench. Uh, it came in and switched it a bit uh, when Sister got on and they actually played much better before. Uh, so I think that could be something bad coming Sister's way is that maybe by behaving the way he did he's actually made Oscar Garcia rethink how he wants to play his team and that means that 
basically Sisa's position is not really there for him to to go out and play on. Yeah, uh, this game was a strange one from the Celta point of view. It's a shame because there were moments where they played well, but I think now we're at the stage where we have to say they're in trouble, man. They're in big trouble and nothing's really happening. I mean, going taking taking points from Mestalla is, is never easy, but the fact that they didn't play necessarily that badly and still were beaten, I think, is worrying. Yeah, our last uh, Scandinavian in action this weekend is Daniel Vass, which I guess for him is a dream situation right now because Valencia have finally signed a right back, so he gets to play in the positions that he prefers to play. Even though I think, as we were saying with Morton before, he's turned into a pretty decent right back. So now it's almost like he has to really make sure that when he does play in midfield, he plays well because... He's so consistent in the other position, it gives a bit of a dilemma for his coach. And what I've been thinking about with Daniel Vaz lately is, like we saw in this game against Celta, he was playing, I think, three different positions throughout the game. Uh, at one point, he, he went up and was actually playing behind Maxi Gomez uh, as in the attack, basically. We had him on the wing, we had him at some point at right back as well. Um, and this is, in one way, I think, a real key of, of Daniel Vaz as a player, that he's so versatile, that you can play him in so, so many positions, and it's a dream for a coach. But I'm also starting to think, is it maybe in some way as well a curse for Daniel Vaz? Because it means that when they need someone on a specific position, they will just move him there, and he doesn't really get the continuity that many other players get, or every other player get in their position, and can't really reach... an even higher level than that he perhaps could have reached. Now he's very good at a lot of positions instead of being extremely good at one position. Yeah, I haven't thought about this before, but actually now that you mention it, he's almost like Valencia's Sergio Roberto, who suffered a similar problem, I guess, for a long time where he could play it right back, he could play in midfield, he could play up front. He even played at false nine once, I think. But yeah, it's the same thing. He doesn't really get a chance to shine anywhere because he's just so reliable that he can be used as and when the coach needs him anywhere, really. And on the one hand, that's good because it means Daniel Vaz is playing at one of the biggest clubs in Spain, a club who's, I think, highly likely to finish in the top four this year. He won a trophy last year. So the fact that you're so versatile means that a club of that scale needs you is great. But on the other hand, on an individual level, you've got a short career, you know what your talents are and you want to show the best of your ability and maybe it's not so easy if you're constantly getting moved around, right? And also if you, you're doing signings and always want to have the best per player at each position, when all players are fit, is he ever the first choice at and at a, a specific position, or is always the the one to put in when you, wherever you need someone to cover up? It's, it, it, I think it's both a, a curse as well as, as something very very special and, and great. Uh, ability to have. Speaking of signings, I guess we should move on to a brief summary of the transfer windows. It feels like for a winter transfer window in La Liga, there was actually quite a lot of activity here. There is a lot of... We, we talked about it as well with La Liga this season that maybe the league hasn't really been at the level uh, that it's been previously and there's a lot of teams who haven't performed as expected. And I think that also results in the winter window becoming extra special and extra important for a lot of teams which is why we've got so so much happening around it yeah, i thought about you but the funny thing about this window for me was that it completely defied my expectations so the the team that i normally wouldn't expect to spend a lot of money spent a lot of money the two teams that it seemed most obvious needed to to get some deals done which barcelona and atletico madrid didn't manage in the end despite the fact that 
I mean, it seemed to be right down to the wire that in both cases, I mean, Rodrigo was in Barcelona, I think, and that deal looked like it was really close to happening. I wonder, I'm beginning to wonder if uh, Rodrigo's cursed because the same thing happened in the summer with Atletico Madrid, remember? And the Valencia fans have not forgotten either. Like, I noticed when he was brought on at the weekend, there was more than a few whistles and boos around Mestalla. And then with Barcelona, uh, Barcelona, with Atletico Madrid, obviously, uh, Edison Cavani not coming. Atleti say it's because his brother, who's also his agent, sort of sprung a trap on them and uh, turned around and said, oh, we will want this extra commission or more money than they were willing to, to pay. To which his brothers replied, well, Edinson didn't spend like a month not playing and refusing to play for PSG to throw something away like this. So who knows? I'd like to have a, a history of being cheap in the transfer market and trying to kind of get their way without having to, to go too far for it. So it's, it's hard to know who to believe. But I just think it's really interesting that these two sides are like the two, two of the three biggest sides in La Liga, two of the three biggest sides in Europe who've played in a lot of European finals in the last few years. They can't apparently can't bully their way around the transfer market anymore no definitely and i think if we take barcelona it's like looking the last couple of transfer windows in general i think a lot of people are used to be surprised not really surprised anymore how badly they they are doing it because it's just going to worse and, and worse um and it's not getting the players they want and then getting random players and then it feels like this window it felt like they were just Anyone want to come to our club? <laughs> the rumors about every single player that exists basically going to Barcelona. And it's just, you can't have that mess when you're a, a club at that level. At that, like, if you're FC Barcelona, you, every player would like to go to FC Barcelona. You should use that in such much better way than they're using it. Now it's also the mess with, with the coach that we talked about before, um, how, how they did the entire thing with Ernesto Valverde and Kikis at the end. And basically it felt like the reason they had to, to sack Valverde was because they had been so openly open about trying to get Xavi and then Xavi turned them down and then they were just in a mess. And it's just the story of, of Barcelona. Um, and if you take Atletico, it's, as you say, it's been a very interesting transfer window for them with the entire Cavani story. And they end up uh, getting Carrasco back instead. Also interesting, it's, uh, will he, because what they need, obviously, is goals. That's why they were trying to get yeah. Cavani. Uh, Carrasco has played in Atleti before, uh, obviously. Didn't score that many goals, to be honest, over three seasons, I think. And, and then he's been now two years in China. So what, what level is he really on when he's coming back? So The Carrasco one's a weird one because in principle, I think a lot of people were like, what? Because they were expecting Cavani and they got Carrasco, who they hadn't even remotely been expecting to get. But when I think about it, I actually think it might not be such a bad signing for them. There's a number of reasons why I think that, but if you look at, even if he wasn't always a player who was scoring or assisting the goals, he's a really, really creative player. He's a player who takes people on and generally wins in those like 1v1 situations. And Atleti really don't have people like that. I mean, Lamar was supposed to be that and it's turned out to be a massive flop. I think we can say that now. Um, and I noticed when he came on at the weekend in the derby and honestly, about 15 minutes on the pitch, he did more than pretty much his entire team with the exception of maybe Murata in the first half had done all game. Like he won a couple of corners, played on both wings like dribbled past people took them on tried to make some smart movements like off the shoulder and all right so maybe he's not going to be the person who's going to score most of the goals that they they need but i think he can help them to score more in general because of what he offers as all-round quality and i'd like to go when carrasco was there before they scored more goals during those days they had a lot less of a i mean at the time it was still they weren't the most creative team in the world but they had an easier job of it in those days than they do now and i've always felt like the, him leaving in the first place and him going to china when he was still so young was a really weird move and it was hard to understand and for me he he felt to me like the natural spiritual successor to Arda Turan at Atletico Madrid who people often forget about he was the one player that 
had that sort of spark of inspiration and creativity and was less rigid in his game and they knew if they gave the ball to Arda you could always make something happen or nine times out of ten and Carrasco is the closest I think they've had to that over the years no one else has been quite as consistent so we'll see it depends on his physical level and it depends on how committed he is because I mean there's been questions about that in the past that he towards the end wasn't really getting on great with Simeone but Simeone said that he came fired up and really wants to play for them so if he believes it I believe it for the time being I think it could work out well I'm kind of optimistic about that one actually yeah it would be interesting to see but I'm a bit worried when you come in, it's, it's such a big difference of level to playing football in China um, and playing football in La Liga. As you said, normally players go there at the end of their career. Uh, he basically went there in the middle of it, uh, which is a, a bit of a strange one. But I, I hope you're right because it, it is would be good for, I think, the league if Atleti got their act together a bit. So the craziest thing probably that happened, I don't know about you, but the craziest thing by by a distance for me was the fact that Espanyol spent like over 40 million euros which is just insane I mean they kind of I, 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 I don't want to say they they won the transfer window but I, I, they they certainly were the most active I think or the most eye-catchingly active out of all the clubs I don't know if you saw that coming but I didn't I, I did not but I think they really needed it I mean they are yeah. last in the, la- in the table they are a team that we already before this season already before last season talking about having perhaps one of the weakest squads uh, in the league and it got even weaker uh, ahead of the season didn't really do a very good transfer window in the summer uh, lost the key players didn't really replace them um, so did not expect seeing them go out on a spending spree like that but they obviously obviously are afraid of go- being relegated to to segunda and, and rightly so so i think they they did what they really needed. I mean, it feels a little bit like better late than never, right? Because like you said, and I think a lot of the fans have pointed this out. It's like, okay, this is exciting. It's great. But you've left it until halfway through the season. Everyone knew in the summertime that we needed all these people to come in and you didn't. Then again, some of the signings you've got now, they wouldn't have been able to make in the summer. So like Raul de Tomas is like the sort of flagship one. Um, and he had only just gone to Portugal. So he wouldn't he wouldn't have gone for to Espanyol at that stage. And four goals in four games... I don't know. We said from the start that we thought that this would be a good signing for them. I think it's going to be. And then they've made other interesting signings in other areas, like in the defence and goalkeeper and supporting roles there. So I think the business they've done is good. Some of it is like quite opportunistic, which is a good thing. But then in general, yeah, I mean, it feels like, guys, you're really cutting it fine here. I mean, you're you're very, very bad position still, even though I think I have a feeling they might just get away. I don't know. I feel like they've made the right, the right signings. They have a decent coach and they could just turn it around, but it remains to be seen. Yeah, they've definitely done the right signings this window and they did the right, took in the right type of coach, the miracle coach, uh, so to speak. So I think they, they've done what they can do basically in trying to, to turn it around. If it's enough, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, they're not in the best position, but it's it's looked good since uh, since the, the signings. Um, so we'll see how that goes for, for Espanyol, if they can save it up. But uh, while Espanyol has been doing what they needed to do basically in the transfer window uh, another team that really needed to to get their act together this this windows were, window was Celta and Oscar's talked about that a lot before the window opened and also during the window that he got came to a team that was not his team players that maybe not fit exactly how he wants um, and he uh, have been quite clear with Celta what kind of players he wants which players he wants even said specific names problem with Celta de Vigo is that they still live with a fear from when they were relegated to the Spanish second division the last time, which ended them being there for five years, almost relegated to the, to the FAD, which was that they had spent too much money 
uh, on players. So they got into a really, really bad economical crisis. Thing is, they then got really smart on their way back up. They did really smart signings with Nolito and a lot of players like that and earned a lot of money on it. Which means that Celta today is probably in the best economical financial situation that the club has perhaps ever been. But their precedent still lives with the fear of back then. So they are afraid of spending money. And this has been a problem for a few years. This is when they were at their best with Berizzo. The reason Berizzo left was because he wanted to take Celta to the next level. So he wanted to do signings and Celta said, that's too much money. And basically, by being afraid of spending too much money in order to get into a financial situation and getting relegated, they're now in a situation where they perhaps are going to get relegated because they're not spending money, money that they actually have. And this window, they've done three signings. They've not done the signings Oscar wanted. Uh, they, I think for midfield, they are got the fourth or fifth uh, choice. Um, for I think the defense is the one that I'm the most optimistic about, which is Jason Murillo, who's been really good since he got in and changed the, the Celta defense in a big way. Uh, the interesting one is the attack, where, as I said before, Oscar wanted a winger. Oscar wants to play with wing- wingers. Didn't really get that. He got a Russian instead, which is Somolov. Uh, it's going to be really interesting. The Celta fans are optimistic for one reason. They have had two Russian players before and it's two of the best players in the history of the club. So they are very optimistic because of that. But this is a player who before been on a really high level, a lot of big clubs have wanted, lately haven't really been at the same level. Uh, so it's important for Celta. If Celta's going to have a chance to stay up, I think Somolov needs to get minutes. He needs to come in with this, being the guy who's not psychological blocks go in, score goals, and then that's how Celta can change things around. If that doesn't happen, they're in a really, really big trouble. But overall, I hard to say if it's a good or bad window for Celta, but the fact, again, they are refusing to spend money, which, again, is going to put them in a really bad situation. There's still time to turn it around. There can be surprises. Last season, I think the big surprise for a lot of people was when, when Villarreal, who were just continually in a slump and doing so badly and so badly. And then in the end, they hit form at the right time through some methods that I wouldn't necessarily recommend to other people, which is like sacking your coach, replacing them, then bringing the old coach back. But it worked. Um, and look at them now. Right. I mean, it looks like now they're probably going to be competing for a European place, which is kind of like the rightful place at the table that Villarreal have, a bit like Celta. So, you know, there's time yet, but that, if it doesn't start to change soon, then yeah, it, it doesn't look great. We'll yeah, see. Yeah, it's... It's just about winning games and getting goals because it's all in the head. As soon if they get one, if they, for instance, accidentally, because that's how it works with Celta, accidentally win over Sevilla, for instance, then I think everything is going to change. They just need that one game. Like we saw last season, we saw that with Valencia. They were playing horrible football. Marcelino was about to get the boot. They got came here to Balaidas, played one of the worst football matches I've seen. But Rodrigo got, got the goal that he needed, that Valencia needed. After that game, it was complete different Valencia. Changed everything around, played amazing football, ended the season on top. Uh, so that's how football works. So we'll see how it goes. But you were talking about Villarreal. Should we uh, also talk yeah. about... Uh, but their surprise signing. I don't know about you, but for me, this was the shock signing of the transfer window. Um, I really 100%. did not see 
Paco Alcácer going to Villarreal. It's a great signing. And actually now afterwards, when I think about it, it makes a lot of sense. But I didn't think that a guy who was playing for Dortmund, who'd been at Barca, who'd been at Valencia, who I think is still more than capable of playing for like a top four side in La Liga, albeit probably the fourth side in La Liga, is going to Villarreal, whose ambitions are like optimistically. Hopefully we can get a European spot, but let's see. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's one of those things. I mean, I've not heard him speak about it, but he's from that part of the world. He spent a lot of his life in Valencia. He's very much a Valencian region sort of guy and Villarreal is not far away it's just up the road and then the other thing I think that's kind of important to point out here is that there's a tendency to to talk about Valencia Villarreal as this derby like internationally you know it's kind of portrayed that way like the Valencian region derby but to be honest in my experience the rivalry between the two clubs is pretty small like I don't think he's going to get so much backlash from Valencia fans for this I think it feels like those two are more like brothers you know Uh, rather than and rival rivals it's it's more like brotherly clubs it feels like there's quite a lot of players and coaches going between the two as well uh, but I'm I'm super excited to see Paco in, in Spanish football again uh, it's not like he did bad at Dortmund either uh, we had that period where he was just like scoring uh, every got like one minute on the pitch scored uh, every time his problem has, has been injuries, basically. But when he's not injured, uh, he's, as you say, he's a top, top player who could play for top four in, in Spain, without a doubt. Yeah, and Villarreal is historically and even recently, in a very obvious case of Santa Catholic, it's a great place to go and sort of get yourself back on your feet and redeem yourself because it's a really, to use that Spanish phrase, it's a really familiar club, as in it yeah. really feels like a family, you know, and it feels 100%. like they, they know how to give people confidence and get them in the right kind of mood. And their coach is doing very well as well, Calleja now. So it feels like the all the right ingredients, but I guess we should move on to our last sort of transfer, transfer. window summary team, if that's the, that's a really snappy way of putting it. Yeah. You were talking about top four, I mean, Sevilla. Sevilla, Sevilla, Sevilla. I so here's the thing with Sevilla. I think that the signings they make, they made the two sort of big signings they made in the winter, which is in the three we mentioned before, and Susu who they've brought in from Milan on loan. They're interesting. I'm not sure there's so much of a sure bet. Now I've had the the privilege and in inverted commas of watching quite a lot of Susu at Milan this season. Really talented player. He hasn't been good this year at all. He's been pretty flat. Um, really not a great amount of character when the going was tough so that raises some questions from him. and then Enesri I think he's a good player for a team like Leganes I'm not sure he's a striker for a team like Sevilla if Sevilla want to make it into the top four I think it will be fascinating to see if that proves to be the case I mean they needed goals like Chicharito didn't work out obviously they're relying so much on Luke de Jong who's not like a regular regular goal scorer anyway but I think it's a little bit of a gamble but then it's Monchi so maybe it's going to be some Monchi mag- magic and I'm going to look like an idiot as possible <laughs> And that's what I just want to, to point out. I agree with all of, of what you say, but as you were saying with Villarreal, if we look historically or modern historically, Monchi historically, basically, Sevilla has been the club where, where players who, as we all know, have like the talent, but have been badly played bad for a few seasons or just like got off the grid. They go to Sevilla, they are rebirthed and just explode and we've seen it over and over again it doesn't happen with every single player it's easy to believe just because it's happened with so many it's going to happen with everyone um, and Sevilla lost the magic a little bit when Monchi left and haven't really regained it in the same way I would say since he came back they've done a lot of signings but it's not really worked out the same way as it always used to do before uh, but in general and I'm very confused and don't really understand what happened with Berisso, the entire situation around the club. Because before that, Sevilla was a kind of club 
where as a little bit as you said with with Villarreal, familiar. Uh, and the thing in Sevilla was that they cared. Like when you listen to players that had been at Sevilla or were at Sevilla in interviews, they were always and players, especially players who had failed at other clubs came to Sevilla and just got their career going it was that this was a club where they care about the person and not just the player and there was so, so much depth to that and then you hear the entire thing that happened with Berisso when he was there as a coach the way he was uh, sacked which was I was so shocked for that happening at a club like Sevilla that was also when Monchi was gone but then again Monchi is not everything at Sevilla even though he is a lot uh, so Sevilla I think has changed a little bit as a club over the last couple of years in that sense but the magic still might be there. So we'll, we'll see what happens to Susu. I think it can go either way, to be honest. They're a little bit, it feels like they're a little bit back in that period. So there was a period between, I guess, between Juan de Ramos and Unai Emery, really, where there was like mm-hmm. a lot of transition. They went through a lot of managers. They went through a lot of players and not all of them worked out. And then, then Emery came in and there was that stability again. It was like the perfect magical combination. And now again, they've cycled through quite a lot of different coaches, a bit some odd, odd coaching decisions. And then also their transfer strategy lately. I don't know, like I'm, I'm wondering if they might even be a victim of their own success in a way. Like they, mm-hmm. Sevilla now don't really have to go and un- cover these players from nowhere the way they used to or from like you know second division French football it's like everyone knows they're a great place to go and boost your career so I don't doubt that there are constantly agents knocking on the door telling them oh you should look at my guy but I'm looking at their squad and I'm thinking like where are the leaders there that they used to have the obvious ones are like you know Canute Arles and these kind of people are well known but even in their sort of Emery era people like Vicente Bora who was a great leader there you had people like Krichoviak who came in and turned out to be a great leader there and even Carlos Baca when he was there he was a real character and someone who really drove the the team forward I'm a little bit concerned about that them in that regard and then finally the thing is I like Julian Lopetegui in a lot of ways but as an attacking coach I think there are quite a lot of reasonable questions to ask about him and if you look at their goal scoring record so let's talk about challenging stereotypes right Sevilla generally known I think you in the modern era you would say been an attacking and quite exciting team who really went for it you know it's like blood and thunder it's like we're Sevilla we're proud we'll go for it they have the worst record uh, worst goal scoring record right now in the top eight behind only Atletico Madrid who let's be honest have been dreadful and I think that says a lot and you know the the thing that, that stands out when I'm coming back to the point about stereotypes they have a worse goal scoring record than Getafe by quite a distance when I think if you ask most people, Getafe, what do you think of Sevilla? What do you think of? It'd be the opposite way around. Your assumption you would make would be Getafe are this kind of rigid defensive team and Sevilla kind of go for it and then see what happens later. Um, so that's a concern. But that brings us on nicely, I guess, to our closing point, which is the the mighty... I mean, what do we call them now? We can't call them Euro Geta anymore, can we? Because that's taken. No, not so. historic Geta. This is the best Twitter in history. They've never been third in La Liga at this point of a campaign ever in the history of this club. Also, this is a club that doesn't have a lot of history, to be honest, uh, in the sense that it's a very... They have a lot of history that they've been late in Europe. They have done a lot of, of uh, impressive things, but they don't have a lot of history in the sense that they are a very young club. I think it founded in 87, if I'm not uh, wrong. Run, one of their players, Jorge Molina, is actually older than the club itself. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and I don't think you can find a lot of clubs in Europe, European no. top clubs, uh, if any, where they have a player that is older than the club. It's just by one year, I think, but still, it's, it's incredible. 
Yeah, I, I wonder. I mean, we we've kind of watched this rise happening, so we we've seen it from start to finish. But I, I do wonder if everyone, maybe the casual La Liga fan or someone who's only just came in and started following the league or who sort of follows it with one eye on it, realizes just how big a deal this is. Like I've been to Getafe games against good teams, so like I've been to see Getafe against Valencia, for example, which is a big team, one of the biggest teams you possibly ever see your side play against in Spain, and the stadium is like a third full. I mean, the, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard for, to overstate I, I, that this is not a big club. I've, I've been to Getafe Atletico Madrid. Uh, there was more Atletico fans than there were Getafe fans. This was a few years ago, but but still, and it's it's a horrendous stadium. For me, it's the worst stadium in La Liga because it's it's very open. I don't think there is running tracks around the pitch, but it completely feels like there there is no atmosphere. But to be to be fair, I think they have gained a lot of fans uh, well, over the last couple of years, and and this, the situation has changed a lot at Getafe. And honestly, they're, they're enjoyable to watch. This is the other thing. Like, yeah. I mean, sorry, guys, if you've not seen the... So they, they won at San Mamez, which is a big deal. Few people do that. The the opening goal against the Athletic Club, Damian's goal, it's ridiculous, man. It's like really fast one-twos, like wall passes, and then a great finish. This is not just like a set 11 people behind the ball kind of team. They can attack, and they're, they're evolving in that regard this season, I think. We said that. To, to our credit, we said a while back that Hitafi are more than just a defensive team. Yeah. And honestly, I think their forward players are as important, if not more, right now. And they they are like they are so good and they are some of the best in, in the league and been for three seasons now. And also, just like before moving on with more with Hitafi, is to for those who, who might not really understand how insane it is what Hitafi is doing right now uh, and what Borrelas is doing as, as a coach, just to give a short... Uh, summary of what has happened. So in 2016, um, Bordelas was appointed head coach of Huetafe. At that point, Huetafe was second to last in the Spanish second division. Um, when the season ended, they ended third in the second division, went on to do the playoffs, won the playoffs against Huesca and Tenerife, went to La Liga. First season in La Liga, I think they finished eighth in the table mm. or uh, just... No, I think they were just three points off a European spot. Bordelas was even named coach of the year uh, in La Liga. Second season, they end fifth uh, in the league. Just five points, uh, I think, behind uh, the Champions League spots. Bordelas again named coach of the season. This season, they are third in La Liga. So they've gone from being, when he took over, second to last in the second division to three seasons in a row being on the European spots or around the European spots. It's insane. And I had the, the luxury to make this, we need to get some Scandinavian into this. I can't get Scandinavian into this. Because I had the luxury to interview Borrelas. I think it was during the first season back in La Liga. I did an interview, phone interview with him and I called from my Swedish phone number um, without even thinking I did. So he first didn't pick up. Because uh, he didn't understand that it was me. Um, and then he did, and he realized it was a Swedish number. And he told me that he really likes Sweden. He really likes Stockholm. And he has relatives living in Stockholm. So we had a bit of a chat about Sweden before we went into the actual interview. Oh, no. Uh, but- you might... Oh, no. I can't believe this is happening, but I think I'm becoming a Hitafi fan. <laughs> it's killing me. <laughs> yeah, oh. so spe- speaking of this, the other day, uh, I have this football shirt collection people probably know about, which is kind of insane. Um, I do have a Huitafe shirt in it. It took really long for me to actually get the Huitafe shirt. Because Huitafe, as we've said before, is it's a team that historically or stereotypically, you don't really like them. 
because they're boring football, they don't have any fans, blah, blah, blah. Everything this is changing. The other day, I was putting my Huetzapi shirt on, I was looking in the mirror, and I was like, this, this is an image I thought I would never see in my life. Myself in a Huetzapi shirt. Bordalas, what have you done to me, basically? Oh. Guys, if, if you ever see me in a Huetzapi shirt, you know I've flipped. That it's game over and, and I'm done. So you can just take me out to pasture and shoot me somewhere quietly and just, you know, make sure I don't see it when it comes for me. But I'll deserve it at that moment. But they have been amazing. I have We have to give credit to them for it because... And the other thing is now, I think, now we can safely say... They're third. Uh, now I think we can safely say that there's no doubt that they're going to sustain a high level because they did it last season. The question is guess- how much of a high level it is, I think. I just want to point out one more thing that when I interviewed Bordelas, I also interviewed the, what's his name, Ramon Planas, I think, mm. might be, right, the, the sporting director at Huetzafe. Um, I was quite interesting because one thing that you, I guess you don't really think about is that Huetzafe has been really smart in their signings since they, also when they got back to La Liga from Segunda, they, because they got back through playoffs, they had shorter time than any other club to prepare for the new season. And they, at that point, they had the lowest budget of all the leagues, even lower than, than Abar. So they go back with the lowest budget with this shortest amount of time, and they still ended that season eighth in the table. Uh, what they did, and what I think a lot of clubs fail to do, is that, especially Celta, if we take one example, is that they, they really see what type of players they need. In the sense, in se- instead of looking for what is a big name or what is a player that will make the fans excited, they looked at what type of player do we need to to make this happen, and they they really like went super focused on this and went for players that many might not have heard of, players from the second division, players from all around, but players that fitted exactly the way Bordalas wanted his team to play, exactly the type of player a team like Huatafe need. And I think each transfer window, we never really talk about what Huatafe do. Because they don't do anything that stand out. They do, don't do anything that makes you, oh, look, that name. But they do the exact right signings for exactly what they need to do. Which is also one of many parts to their success, I think. Yeah, they deserve their success. They've earned it. Nobody else has handed it to them on a plate. So long may it continue, he says, through not even through gritted teeth. I don't know how. I think it's time to call an end to this show because things are getting yes. really scary now. Uh, we have cup <laughs> games during the week. We have league games coming up. We've got plenty to talk about next week, hopefully more than just Hitafi, as great as they have been. So until then, Alexander Jonsson, do you have any closing comments? Um, I do not. How boring is that? Well, I only have one thing to say. Vamos, Geta. Vamos, Geta. It happened. No.